0: Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today, our guest is David McElwain. And... Good job. <laughs> I had to look. I was like, Oh, did I get it right? <laughs> And he is a seasoned entrepreneur and successful executive with deep experience in business growth, scale and delivering results. And as the owner of Colorado Realty Experts for the last five years, he oversees a residential real estate brokerage serving the South Denver metropolitan area. He's also founded Mac Assets in 2019. And its portfolio currently includes property in the Southeast and Mountain West. And at present, he is a general partner in A Thousand Doors. Thank you so much, David, for being here today, and welcome to the show.
1: Great to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: So David, can you start off by sharing a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate?
1: Yeah, it's not an uncommon background, right? I was a corporate executive. I was in the sales profession in the advertising industry. And in the course of 24 months, I lost two jobs after having achieved quota in both jobs in reversing negative revenue cycles. And the first job I'd been there 17 years, we went through a merger and I got laid off the day I hit quarter for the upcoming quarter. And it'd been like that ninth quarter in a row like that. I went through some challenges with the divorce, ended up in another job as a CRO for a tech company, reversed nine quarters of negative income growth, nine quarters of negative income, and got laid off a week later. And what I learned from all that was that corporate America does not have my back. And if I'm going to take charge of my financial destiny, I can't rely on another company to do that. So that brought me to real estate. And when I went through that, I also got divorced at the same time. So it was a pretty rough couple of years. And I had lived on an airplane as a sales executive uh, and a sales leader, traveling all throughout the territories. I was on a different plane every day for three weeks of the month, 39 weeks of the year, And I couldn't do that as a single dad. So I found real estate as an alternative and I've never looked back. I don't know if that's a short enough answer for you or not, but that's kind of the short evolution of it.
0: No, thank you for sharing. I mean, I think a lot of people are kind of in a very similar situation. Like most of us work a corporate job. A lot of us have like nine to five jobs and we're working it. But for you, as you were, you've been at that company for 17 years. Did you even see the layoffs happening? Oh,
1: yeah, it was a nightmare. We knew about it six months in advance. I was one of the leadership team that knew we were cleaning house. We got merged with our competition. And as so often happens in corporate America, a merger is not about improving the lives of the employees or improving the lives of the customers. It's about accretive growth, accretive savings. You know, I can use all the buzzwords in the world, but what it's really about is changing the economics and taking markets, buying market share. And so when that company, bought our company, we were the two giants in the space and they cleaned out every executive. My boss fired me on a Thursday and he got fired on a Friday. I'm sorry, laid off. Let's use the right vernacular, right? And uh, after those layoffs, you know the company lost a third of its workforce because they decided we were redundant. There's redundancy for sure. There always is. But as a human being, the promise of corporate governance to help the employee is definitely a, a, something that's being evaluated all across the systems, right? I mean, look at what happened at Twitter. Twitter got, went through a merger and instantly Elon Musk cleans out 50% of the property for 50% of the employees. And then he puts out an ultimatum, and another 50% resign. And this is not a discussion about Elon Musk and his management behaviors. It's really about corporate America doesn't have your best interests at heart. So I had to learn the hard way that my best interests at heart came from me working for McElwain Inc., which then became two other real estate companies.
0: What did you do when you came across that realization and you decided that you were going to work for yourself? What did you do to set up and to start off, to start building those first steps and getting started in real estate?
1: Well, I went and got my real estate license because I was going to be a flipper. And I had gone through a divorce, not really successful. And I had some savings and I had some net worth and I had some liquidity. And so I was going to just go flip. And what I came to realize was that the marketplace in Colorado at the time, Colorado's been growing in case no one, in case of no, some of you have been living under a rock, Colorado's been growing at massive double digit rates. And in Denver, I moved here in 94 and we've had 50 to 70,000 positive migration every year since. So it's huge. And when I was becoming a flipper, I came to realize that the risk reward was not sufficient for what I viewed to be a good enough return on my capital. You could put out a couple hundred thousand dollars, you'd have a 60, 90 day carry cost. And at the end of the day, you're making 30 grand. So you're making a 10 or 15% gain. Plus you've got a massive amount of risk right? You've got the risk of construction. You've got the risks of inspections. You've got the risks of regulation. You've got the risks of market turning, all for a 15% profit, maybe 20. And then you've got to pay that at tax, at short-term capital gains, at worst, or at best. And at worst, you're paying it as ordinary income. So I quickly figured out that wasn't the way to do it. And I became a residential broker selling to the ultimate buyer and seller. And I enjoy doing that because I get to help people do homes. But that doesn't get me to the financial independence. I'm still trading time for money. So what I came to learn was that multifamily was a tremendous way to grow. And I got into multifamily in 2019. This was a four-year journey, and I haven't looked back since.
0: At the time when you first started and you got your real estate license, you were looking to be flipper, and then you also went to do mm-hmm. some residential brokerage as well. Were you still working at that time, and as you were making that transition, or did you? Was it like a um, clean? Once cut? I
1: left, once the uh, tech startup laid us off, I decided that I was done doing that, and I became a real estate person full time because I looked around and what I saw was that it's a demand that's never going away. Housing, as we all know, is a base need. It's not going to get Amazoned out. You're not going to have a disruption of technology that gets rid of the roof. Maybe there's something, but I can't see it. And I've only got another 50 years on this planet. So I don't think it's going to happen the next 50 years that no one has needs a roof. I could be wrong. And that's the bet I'm making is that people need housing for the rest of my life.
0: What did you need also to start off? Because you had a successful career working the sales job, working Mm -hmm. in the corporate environment. And Mm -hmm. when you transitioned to become your own boss and an entrepreneur, what were the skill sets? What were the things that you needed to set in place your foundation first as you were starting out?
1: What a great question. You know, I think that that's an evolving answer. Because as I started out, the world is different today than it was eight years ago and my goals and my needs are very different, right? So when I started, my number one goal at the time was to be a dad. So I didn't work the way I did in corporate America, and I'm really glad about that. But now my kids are in college, and I'm changing my business structure, right? Because I no longer need to be a day-to-day father since my kids are in different time zones. So what I have built is really an accountability structure. I brought in all the disciplines of corporate America about reporting, about monitoring the things that we want to see grow, the discipline of building in goals, accountability within the team on how to achieve those goals. I've used a lot of project software. I'm using Asana and I'm really happy with it now because it it creates a big focus on what we're going to do for those periods of time. I brought in the sprint mentality from tech development world. In my last job, we did a lot of sprints. and I saw a lot of real value in that. I brought in the forecasting and planning disciplines from sales leadership, the CRM stuff from being a salesperson. So I brought in those skill sets and brought them back to myself. I have an office. I don't work from home. I definitely need to leave the house. I kept on 25 years of habits. I get up at the same time. I exercise at the same time. I do all those things that I did in corporate America. But instead of feeling like I had to leave at 6.30 after the boss left. If I'm done at four, I can decide I'm done at four. I think that's a big change.
0: We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about. Serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Right, thank you for sharing all of that. And so, when you found and discovered multifamily, what were the steps that you took to get started on that venture as you transitioned away from the flipping and the brokerage?
1: Well, I still operate the brokerage. and I have brokers that that operate in that world, and I still think it's a really valuable business. So I'm not completely transitioned away from that, but it's definitely number two in my focus. Number one, what I did was I went to school figuratively. My second job out of college I got taught that you learn best by doing so I did. I had owned a multifamily prior to this in my other life and I'd done some commercial stuff prior to this in a past life and so I knew enough to know that I didn't know it. So I joined some groups. I joined some training groups. I Started going to all the seminars that I typically don't like. I don't like the rah-rah, live your life to the best. You can be the perfect person if you just do A, B, and C, guys. I'm not that sales guy. So I went to those anyway to get the data points. I did a voracious amount of reading. I watched a whole bunch of seminars that I couldn't attend. And then I found partners and I got into doing deals. And that's how I went from zero doors to a thousand doors in about a year and a half. Wow. I also sold my small properties to get liquidity to put my skin in the game on big properties. And that was a great decision.
0: When you look back at from when you first started and where you are now being able to acquire over a thousand doors, what do you think was the main driver to that growth?
1: A couple of things. One, the market had not yet. So the market in 22 is very different than the market in 20. In 21 and 19, right? The reality is that when the Fed has done once in a second generation set of accelerations in the interest rates, the buying market's mass will be changed overnight. So, one of the things that was beneficial to that growth curve was recognizing the market was still moving fast and figuring out how to buy buy property and raise capital in a way that was going to ensure that our investors delivered and received returns. That we delivered and they received returns and so i think it was looking for items that were not as sexy as a lot of other things as a new guy you don't get the sexy deals right you just don't and if they tell you they're a new guy and they're getting sexy deals they're lying to you because the new guy doesn't have a hundred million dollars in certainty to close a deal so you start with the things that are They're C students, if you think about it in terms of a college comparison, right? You're not going to get the A student right away. You're going to get the C student and you're going to make them a B student. And that's what we did. One of those were exiting this month and we bought it at a pretty distressed place. We did a lot of operational heavy lifting to it and we'll sell it for a high double digit IRR return.
0: When you were building up your portfolio, was this all on your own within company? Or were you also partnering with other people in the space as well?
1: Oh, really? It's a team sport, right? I didn't do all this on my own. There's no way. I found people that I could work with, that I could trust. And I found partners in these groups and I did research and I visited their properties. That's how I built this is that I'd find partners. So I didn't ever do it all on my own. It's too much scale, right? And the reality is that as a uh, syndicator, you don't start with a $100 million net worth. And in order to get that $100 million loan, you got to have a $100 million net worth. And the only way to have that $100 million net worth is to have a team that puts it together or be really rich. And if I have $100 bucks, Eileen, I'm probably not doing this. I'm yeah. probably doing something different.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let me turn the question back to you. If you had $100 million, what would you be doing?
1: <laughs> you know, they had that lottery a couple of weeks ago where somebody won a billion dollars, right? And One
0: person. Yes. One person in SoCal, by
1: the way, right? Yes.
0: Very close by to yeah. where I am. Yes. Yeah. And it I didn't me, buy a ticket. But
1: <laughs> and I didn't buy a ticket. So the reality is that I'd be doing a lot of stuff that's good for society. I'd take a big chunk off the table for my family to build something, and I'd build a business that allowed people to have jobs. And then I would also build a tremendously large structure on something that improves society. What that method would be, I don't know. I'm fascinated by Bill Gates building roads in Africa and working on water supply and not doing the thing that is just easy, which is to do the popular thing, but doing the thing that actually has an effect. You know, one of the biggest things we have in our country is the interstate, so, and that was built in the 50s as a national defense priority. and Africa doesn't have that. So that's what you do if you look at that, is you look at a bigger picture than just your neighborhood. I would also get very much into affordable housing. I think affordable housing is a great avenue for both society, for the residents, and for the investment
0: community. And within your partnerships right now, since real estate is a team sport, where's your skill set? Where do your strengths lay?
1: You know, that's a big question. It's a big challenge because I've had kind of a varied career and I've got some very detailed trainings. And so I can do the analysis. I don't really like to. I can do the investor relations and I like that. So I'd say investor relations is part of it. I think it's putting together the organization and driving the organization forward. And it's assembling a partnership team that actually takes the best skill of other people and maximizes them. And I also love working with brokers. I'm a broker, I understand the logic, I understand the thinking, I understand the games. So I love that acquisition side of the business.
0: I'm curious also on your take of this, because you come from you know the corporate background, you've held various C-level suite positions and everything like that as well. A lot of times in corporate America, they promote, build up your weaknesses. You have your weaknesses and you need to work on these weaknesses to get to that next level. When you focus on real estate and you're looking more at like a team sport, is that still the case? Or how do you look at weaknesses versus strengths?
1: Well, you know, I left corporate America before personality profiling got really popular. It was clear enough for me to hate it. (laughs) But I didn't use it as a beneficial tool in my leadership days. It was more of a gut thing. I think now it's really beneficial to us. And personality testing tells us where someone naturally evolves to their interests. So I try to do some of that. And like from a Myers-Briggs point of view, I'm an ENTP, which means that I'm an extroverted, intuitive thinker and perceiver. So there's a lot of energy in what I do. And so I want someone who's the opposite of that or has opposite skill sets in the team. So I want someone that has a feeler perception in there, and someone in there that has, I'm escaping it right now, a J, a judger, as opposed to a perceiver. So I look for some of that. And what that does is if the person's well-versed in their own skills, strengths, and weaknesses, they kind of know who they are. And if I ask them those questions and they can't give me an answer on a DISC or Myers-Briggs or some of the other ones, the Strengths Finders, then I start to wonder, have they done any real analysis on what their skills are? So from that point of view, what I do is I ask, what are your skills? What do you not like to do? I don't call it weaknesses because I hate doing minutia. but am I good at it when I have to be? Yeah. Right. So it's not that it's a weakness. I just don't like it.
0: <laughs> and so David, what is your next focus?
1: My focus for 23 is really simple. I want to talk to the sales executive, the sales performer who's getting killed By quotas and mergers, and is worried about losing some of their financial freedom. I want to show them that there is a world that they can build a stable income stream from cash flow of real estate without having to panic every day about what the stock market's doing. My real estate portfolio has not gone down 30%. My stock portfolio has, right? I want to help evangelize to this cadre of peers that you can keep your W-2 job and build something better. Had I done this when I was in the height of my revenue producing sales career, I could have a ski house in Telluride and a beach house in Malibu and not work if I chose to, right? And instead I consume too much. And so I guess one of the messages to tell people the consumption might not be as good as the investing. And from there, I plan to acquire hopefully another thousand doors in 23.
0: And how has real estate impacted your life?
1: Well, I recently got remarried and I went on a 10 day honeymoon to Panama.
0: Congratulations. Where
1: literally, thank you. She's a great woman. I love her to death. And when I went to Panama for 10 days, there was no cell service. And so how did it impact my life? I didn't have a boss asking me what's going on. I didn't read email for 10 days. I was able to check out from stress yeah, and connect with my spouse. One of my sons goes to school in Europe. So if I go to Europe, I can go see him. I have another daughter on the East Coast going to school, and I go see her when I want to. So there's this freedom of time. That's a big thing, right? I still work a ton, but I don't work on anybody else's terms. I think that's the biggest difference The people I have that are investors that have invested with us, how it's affected them is that they have a safety net and that safety net allows them confidence to make decisions for their family that is best for their family based on having a safety net as opposed to staying somewhere or not staying somewhere over fear.
0: And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started?
1: That's a good question. I think the thing I did not understand when I very first began that I now know so well is the way that a commercial asset, multifamily, strip mall, retail, industrial, is valued on a cap rate structure, which really is based on an equity multiple, just like any public stock on the NASDAQ or New York exchanges are. And residential is valued on a principal substitution. And that's a massive difference in real estate. Commercial multifamily valued on exchange of trading multiples. Residential valued on the idea that I can buy any house and substitute A for B. And that's how it happens. So if I have a house on my neighbor on my street where there's a crack dealer, I lose 30% of my value. If I have that same property where there's a crack dealer in my multifamily, but I'm able to arrest it and fix the problem and I don't lose any revenue, it doesn't affect my value. That's a huge distinction that I never knew about in corporate America. And that changes the game entirely on how you approach it. It's a business just like Ford or Allstate or CBS.
0: And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing?
1: I don't know that there's one thing, right? I will go with intelligence. And what I mean by that is that people that can see the future and they can work and where it's going. A lot of real estate is understanding Jen's demographics, values of the future and what's happening. And if you can harness that, that's really good.
0: Awesome. David, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing in the space?
1: Well, thank you for asking, Eileen. I appreciate it. Mac Assets is my website, www.macassets.com. You can also find Mac Assets on LinkedIn or on Facebook. And occasionally I show up on Instagram, but I got I to gotta get better at that. And I've actually published a new ebook called "Ugly: How Ugly Apartments Deliver Beautiful Returns. And if you want to get that, you can also get that at macassets.com.
0: David, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate all of your time. Hey, thank you for having me, Alina. It's been great. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review.